Welcome, Kaylin, to our very first live podcast show. Um, we've been doing this podcast, Fish Out of Water, for a couple months, and um, we decided that we should not only record and share um, the episode once it's been edited, but actually invite the audience into asking some questions, especially to the three guests that we have for today's um, uh uh, schedule. So um, first, um, I just want to say thank you guys so much for showing up for us and for supporting this podcast. We create this essentially so that we can just share the amazing stories of the people that we have the privilege of encountering um, at our um, company, Holy Red Studio, and through a membership. Um, so um, yes, I know I'm bad with intros. I'm getting better <laughs> at it. But I'm Daryl O. I'm the founder of Holy Red Studio. Um, to my left, I have Saskia DeBorograf. She's the incredible content creator and um uh, oh my god I'm just blanking uh I'm fine we're live it's okay um uh Saskia what do you do why am I, I am the content this? and operations director at Holy Red Studio yeah Elena who are you yeah I am <laughs> Elena Franco and I am the director of research and development yes okay good um like I said, thank you guys so much for coming with us live. Um, if you, if this is your first time to Twitch, no problem. We're familiarizing ourselves with this platform as well. But what makes it really cool is that you actually can ask Kaylin questions live. So if you are in Twitch, like feel free to interject. This is supposed to feel like we're all in the same room together and that we're all just like hanging out. But um, mostly what we want to focus on is this incredible person in front of me, yeah. Kaylin. Welcome. Hi. Um, I'm not going to butcher your intro like I did with Saskia. So I'm just going <laughs> to let you introduce your incredible self to the audience. Um, just like tell us a little bit about who you are and um, what you do. Sure. So I'm Kaylin Lynch. I am originally from Southern California. I moved to New York about almost eight years ago now. Uh, I went to St. John's University for undergrad, studied psychology there. Then straight from there, I went to New York University and got my master's in applied psychology. Um, so I'm the founder of Redefining Our Womanhood, which is a mental health um, organization based for Black women and marginalized people, and also the founder of the Bolt Library, which is an art archival system. Yes. So um, you wear many hats and you've accomplished so many things. But I think um, we've had the privilege of like seeing a really dynamic journey that started with you actually pursuing a personal project um, at Clinton Hill by interviewing me. Right. Like that was the first time we met with Drew. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. The the toilet like clogged during your rental. Oh, my I God. That's that. right. Yeah. <laughs> Joe and I were like desperately trying to play super. <laughs> And we like tied a ribbon to this little bit of the toilet, uh, so that hopefully that it it was really right. embarrassing. But it's all right. It never <laughs> happened to you again. No. So. And you still stayed and liked yes. us, so yeah. it's great. Um, but before we go into to sort of how we know each other, Kaylin, I'd love for to sort of invite people into some a little bit more about your backstory and what it was like for you to um, study psychology at NYU, because I think that that was 
um, something that you and Elena related on a lot as to what it's like to actually um, pursue academia um, with 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 purpose to affect change in the world, but then be confronted with some issues from the institution that made it difficult for you to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I have a very interesting uh, background in regards to academia. Honestly, like I grew up really like poor. I was the first person in my family to go to college. The first time I had ever been on a plane or gone out of the state was when I was 18 and went to St. John's. Uh, that was like the first time I'd ever like stepped out of the state. And I really had no clear understanding of what college was. I just was like, I knew it was my way out of a bad situation. And that's kind of how my approach was to college. And I know a lot of young black women, that's like the case for a lot of us too. Um, I studied psychology in high school and I like really fell in love with it. And that's what I just chose to do for my, um, my major. Um, fortunate for me, uh, my sophomore year, I met my mentor there, Dr. Seattle Wall. She's like a very well-renowned researcher. And I think I did um, like a project on black women and breast cancer and like health engagement. It was like a health psychology course. And she had a meeting with me one day and was like, do you want to be a research assistant on my team? Had no idea what that meant. And, but just like, I'm such a curious person. I was just like, sure, like, why not? If I don't like it, I will do it. <laughs> and from there, um, she really threw me into like her research project. She, at the time she was working with um, the American Sociology um, Association and BET and all these like really big um, companies and organizations and like really threw me into different research projects, mainly within like the black community, um, a lot of health stuff. So a lot of um, HIV and AIDS research, a lot of like health engagement research. And really with, through psychology, I really fell in love with research um, more so than I did mental health actually, because it was just all related and reminded me of my own background of like how my social placement as a black person, as a woman, as someone who grew up poor and how that, how I navigated the world pretty much. And so since I was 19 into now, I'm 26, I have been a researcher. And for me, it was a way for me to see data and context and how I could use my voice to tell a story, basically. And even, you know, as a creative, that's like the driving point of my, of my, all of my work really is how can I tell a story with the data that I have? And so that's really where my background comes from. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So is that something that has invited you into like being interested in visual arts? Because I think that something that stuck out for us and what we were so excited about is that you have a, such an incredible amount of talent in your research and in your pursuit to, of sort of the mastering of psychology. But at the same time, um, you have such an incredible knowledge of visual storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it's clear mm -hmm. in what you've manifested in your life just with the two projects that you're working on now. The Vault Library is such an essential sort of like yin to the yang, that the work that you do with Roe. Um, when did you start kind of like being invited into the artistic world? Because I think for a lot of us, it's very hard to discover art from a place when you're going to school for academia, mm -hmm. um, especially if you don't have somebody in your life to sort of like um, invite you into mm -hmm. that world yeah it's really funny I had a friend of mine tell me like we all like when you're an adult you say like I don't know what I want to do like I have no idea what my passion is but like it's always something you did when you were a child <laughs> and it's funny now because I remember being a child and like googling any random question that I had and like researching and like 
looking through dictionaries and books in the library. And the same thing with art. Um, I kind of got into art when I was around 12 or 13 um, through Judy Chicago, an artist, a feminist artist. And I really, really fell in love with fashion, uh, specifically editorial. So I would like scrape up any money I had and go to like downtown LA and buy all these like fashion magazines spending like hundred of dollars that I didn't have. And literally like my bedroom, like my childhood bedroom was like covered from like ceiling to floor of just editorials. Like there was no piece of like wall that you could see. And it's, it reminds me of the vault. Like that's what I did. And every month, like I would arrange it and like tell a story. And for me, it was just a way to like escape. And like my imagination was always a way for me to like shape the world that I wanted to see. And editorials to me was like always this like imaginary world that was just like outside of myself. And so for me, like curation is something that it's how I tell stories. And even with the Vault Library, a lot of it, when I look back, I'm like, I was like, this is very personal. And maybe people don't know that, but it's all, it's just kind of how I express myself. And I think sometimes I don't have the words for things. And even with, you know, Row, I think a lot, and especially like black women and marginalized people, sometimes the things that we go through, I don't, think we have the words for so I tried to articulate you know emotions through visual art yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's something that I think resonates with um at the core of who we are as humans like um and it's definitely something that I I relate to that a lot actually Mm -hmm. um Elena was laughing because like I remember I had a wall and you actually used to come over and collage with me remember yeah like make our the wall that's I had a I had a wall that was filled with just like only um like nature documentary photos really? just like photos of animals that i was cutting out of what a tour what a, a tourist what a tourist collage I know. just like a beautiful photo of a fly like <laughs> the first time i went to daryl's house and i saw her collage wall i was like okay this girl and i are gonna be like best friends it was like the coolest thing ever which is like you couldn't even see the wall it was just it was just magazine cut yeah so how do you think you've sort of like married yeah. um storytelling with row because obviously it's like um it's a lot of things it's a platform you know it's a resource and obviously like a lot of people who follow the instagram aren't necessarily like part of the membership but everybody's sort of tapping into it for different reasons how do you think that um you've been able to create like this aspect of storytelling in your mental health business right um i think one of the biggest things uh behind row was communion and you know because i would want this space to be worldwide really online was the only way to do that um and i wanted to share tangible resources mental health resources but i also understand that like the people that i want to talk to are people who this is their first time engaging with psychology or mental health period right so there's only so much we can say (laughs) um just within like a few paragraphs or just a one-off post right but So I want to make sure I'm not using jargon that people may not understand or, you know, talking about very complex things in a very simple, digestible way. Um, And again, for me, because, you know, language can be so limiting, I like to share visuals as a way to kind of invoke some sort of like intuitive emotion. Because if I felt something looking at something, I'm sure someone else may feel the same way. So I think, again, like curation for me is a way to do that. And I can still like, it's, it's just as impactful as, you know, sharing an essay, in my opinion, or a journal article. It's like that same emotion. Um, 
and it, it, we all learn differently. Like I'm an academic, but I'm also creative. And I think those both sides of my brain <laughs> really, um, it's just as equally important. You know, someone might find a picture or a video that we post that may be the thing that they needed to see, or someone might read, you know, a post on meditation that we made, and that might be something that they needed. So I just wanted to make sure we were like reaching everyone because mental health and wellness and, you know, our journey in that looks so different. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't just talking to the creative. I wasn't just talking to the person that may be a therapist. You know what I mean? I wanted to talk to everyone. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Accessibility and language is like so, so, so important. And it's not something that it's like necessarily seen as a tangible like gatekeeper because it's it's not it's not physical, mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that that it if it shows in the work and the patience yeah. that you put into the work in Roe. Um, I'd love to invite people into the story about how Roe came to be to begin with. Actually, oh, Kaylin, because yeah. it's such a it's such a powerful story. Um, so I remember I was I was presenting research at Columbia University, and it was on the Afro Caribbean community and mental health. And we wrapped up, and someone in the audience asked um, me what was my like hangups with like the angry black woman stereotype. And I said, I resented it because, you know, I am a black woman and I am angry because I have a lot to be angry about. So it was, I was just resenting that whole phrase of like, you know, the angry black woman thing. And she's told me, well, instead of resenting it, why don't you redefine it and redefine what angry means. And at the time, like, this is way before Roe even like popped into my mind, but I just, that was something I always held on to. Um, my mentor at NYU, um, there was like a grant award at NYU going on and she was like, well, just like maybe think of something. Um, it would be a good experience on your resume. So literally it just kind of flowed out. And at, when I, you know, came to you all with it, it was just a research project. It was going to be like a one-off research project and something I can like write a one uh, like one page article on and that was going to be it and then I really just saw the need for it and I think you all just like really like shine the light on the need of it as well and through that just is what it is now and it's growing into a space where I really want to be a bridge for people to to their resources and as I think as a researcher I'm seeing a lot of like I had a lot of like introspection within myself of like I'm collecting all this data from these like marginalized communities, but like what am I really doing with it? You know, these these journal articles cost like three hundred dollars, you know, and I'm writing about poor underserved communities. Like, who am I really writing for at the end of the day? And like, what is this journal doing? You know, if it's not making any like actual change in reality, and just seeing you know people like Kim Porter, people like, you know, Serena Williams, who this, this goes across like class and, and everything. Black women are just like targeted within all aspects of health. And I just thought like, I don't really want to engage in a system that doesn't serve me and it wasn't made for me. And I'm sure a lot of black women and marginalized people feel the same. And, but I was, at the end of the day, I also get that, that because I'm a researcher and because I'm in mental health doesn't mean I'm an expert <laughs> on anyone's health, you know? So mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure to give people, and not, like, not using the word empower, because I don't think that kind of was like a, a whole thing, but I wanted to reflect to people, like, you have the power to recognize what feels good for you and what you need. So like, let's use as an ecosystem of like, we have all these black practitioners and allies who are practitioners 
you are the expert of your needs. How can we all form and, and make together? Whether that be through communion, whether that be through workshops, whether that be through you using Row to consult and see like, I can connect you to a doula, or I can connect you to a yoga instructor or a therapist, like whatever the means are, you know, how could we all work as an ecosystem? That's so powerful. Yeah. And I, I love uh, something that's like we we I think we all relate to is just like the 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 thought that you can you are the expert of your experience and that there are so many of us across so many different communities and identities that experience that in one way or another. Um, and or at least experience being told by somebody else that like we are not the authority of our own lives or our own bodies or our own spaces. Um, and so I just think, um, Elena, maybe you can talk a little bit about this. Cause like what I, I think Saskia and I always talk about is witnessing the way that you and Kaylin really related to like the limitations of sort of academia. And you kind of touched on it, Kaylin, with the cost of yeah. even a journal article to begin with. And like, who is that going towards into the echo chamber of people mm -hmm. who are already experts in that, like, you know, just continuing to have the same conversation in a vacuum and it's not actually impacting anybody. Um, but, you know, really taking, you know, I feel like you're such an example of somebody who went into, you know, you, you went to school, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, to become a therapist, right? Like, as like, you were like, this is a tangible way that I can like effectuate change and connect with my community to only figure out that like, you know, you know, I don't even want to kind of touch on that story because I really relate to that, you know, going in one way, but coming out with something that's even more valuable and look at what you're doing now with it. Yeah. So I actually started out in NYU to become a therapist. And the first year in really doing like having like actual clients, I realized and and I like advocate for mental health resources and therapy. I think everybody <laughs> needs a therapist, but yeah. I really felt like it was a band-aid to a much bigger problem. I think therapy is a band-aid for like a much bigger problem. And I wanted to see something where it's like, before you needed therapy or like, how about we stop the trauma or how about we heal the integration of trauma first before you needed to go to therapy for like some sort of traumatic event, right? So I just felt like it was more of a systematic issue you know, just being a black woman, I, I felt like so many other black women that I know are going to therapy for like super, super heavy traumatic things. And, it, and I thought before we even got there, <laughs> how about we stop the trauma, right? And so for me, I just felt like therapy, especially seeing just one-off individuals was just not, I thought I just had a bigger and I can create a bigger impact. Um, so in, at NYU, I switched my major and I was able to do um, applied psychology, specializing in health psychology and research. Um, and that's where I learned a lot of like program development, how to build a program, um, how to use data in a meaningful way where we can create curriculums and programs that can actually like create seeable change. And to me, it's like, especially for black people and marginalized people, there's like so much work to be done. And obviously, I think we need therapy for everyday things, right? Because I think, especially now with what's going on with the protest and with COVID, it's, I think a lot of people, non-Black people don't understand is that we, we are still human beings. Like, we're still dealing with breakups. We're still dealing with our jobs. We're still dealing with just like minuscule things, right? Up on top of all of this. So I think therapy is just, it's just not enough. You know, we need systemic change. And through that, we need programs, we need curriculum, we need at a more higher level than just therapy. Yeah, I mean, you're really talking about healing, you know, and really the distinction between, 
Excuse the cat. My my cat's just <laughs> made so much noise. It's all right. Yeah, She's okay. just wants to be on the podcast. Yeah. What were you saying, Elle? Yeah. Um, just the, you know, larger conversation of healing. And, you know, I hadn't really even thought about how therapy really kind of is, you know, it is kind of like a band-aid. You know, you're just kind of mm-hmm. trying to like Which not, is needed. Which is exactly. Needed. But, yeah. you know, really, you know, what is healing? You know, mm. and 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 the different ways that you're created really unique programming and are really going directly into, you know, groups of people and actually congregating groups of people to yeah. engage in that. Mm-hmm. But it's also a marathon and not a sprint. And so, yeah. pursuing activism through row, I really do see that line like as a very clear straight line from from what you are doing and sort of like what is even happening outside of our windows right now mm-hmm. that has been happening. Right. Is that it's um, protesting and being on the front lines is 100 percent something that needs to be done. But those individuals also need healing space because they're putting themselves on the line. But then healing in and of itself is a part of contributing, I think, to the change Um, and also supporting companies, quite honestly, Kaylin, because your path to entrepreneurship, even if it's built upon a foundation to affect change over profit. Like, I really think that I've seen a lot of people want to support these ideas. So I think mm-hmm. if there's anybody that happens upon this or watches mm-hmm. this, I want to shamelessly plug Kaylin and yeah. Ro. Yes. Uh, I want you to Venmo her cash for absolutely no other yeah. reason other than she deserve this idea deserves to be supported. But also, if you are somebody who is in need of mental health practice and mm. you want to be in charge of your mental health practice and you want to be the authority on what is best for you, I, like Kaylin is just such a shining example of somebody that even if even if Ro isn't the thing that you are going to suggest like you are the type of person that's going to really point them in the type mm-hmm. right direction mm-hmm. so yeah um do you think kaylin could you list some of the resources that Ro is uh providing yeah as um as an organization we have been providing um workshops and something that you said Dara really made me think of that our very first workshop was at hill house uh black owned based in brooklyn and what's really like I think important for people to kind of examine is that wellness right now is super trendy. It's yeah. like one of the, it's literally the leading um, just like industry right now in America. And it's, it's this idea that healing can be sold or it's just this tangible thing. That's like a, something you can just buy. And, you know, so a lot of times you're thinking if I go to therapy, if I do yoga and if I like some sage, I'll be healed, right? And so at our workshop, someone like bravely asked like, okay, I have these, these crystals, you know, like I don't really know what to do with them. I don't think they really work. And one of my friends, Fatima, she was leading um, like this heart chakra workshop and she was like, maybe it's just not for you. <laughs> and I thought that was so powerful because it's like, we're really, we're literally being sold therapy. You're really being sold these, these healing things, which really is just based in like capitalism, that healing is just being disguised as this like capitalist venture. But in reality, like what works for you, it works for you. Like maybe row won't work for you. Maybe therapy won't work for you. Maybe yoga won't work for you, but like maybe, you know, getting Reiki will, or maybe, you know what I mean? So it's like finding what works for you is like something I really advocate for. And I think what would, would row really stands on. Um, but right now we offer workshops and I, again, like I always really want to offer tangible resources. So we have like licensed practitioners that come in and whether it be therapists, whether it be, um, art therapy, yoga instructors, whatever the case may be coming in and like actually teaching and working with you one-on-one so that you can go home 
and practices in like your daily life. Um, and soon we'll be offering our membership so that we will be able to connect you with Yay! practitioners, <laughs> connect you with practitioners that you're looking for, um, black, black people, practitioners, people who are our allies in this community. Really, again, my whole thing is like, I don't know what you need. I can't, I, me even being all the years experience I have in mental health, I still mean, I don't know you and what you need. So it's like you coming in saying, this is what I'm looking for <laughs> and us providing it for you at a very affordable cost. Um, and we also offer consultations. So if you do have trouble looking for something and maybe not necessarily knowing what you're looking for, that we can offer that assistance to you. Yeah, it's incredible. So incredible. Um, well, our 30 minutes are like basically already up. Is it? Also, yeah, want you to know there's it. seven viewers right now. Oh, we, we do? have eight. Hey. So, like, hey. Hey, audience. Hey, audience. <laughs> really cool. Um, You're yeah. so cool, yeah. first of all. I yeah. still want like, to ask my question. Okay. Oh, waiting. okay. <laughs> We're cheating. It's, it's, not, it's not to, like, sort of end on a, uh, like, negative note or anything, yeah. but... Um, I think something that we've been talking a lot about recently mm. is the difficulty of becoming an entrepreneur. And we're talking about it even more and more as like the job market is failing more and more people and or disappearing. Yeah, or just, like, is or there just one right gone? now? <laughs> it's, it's gone. Um, and that, you know, having the tools to just be like, okay, well, I'll start something on my own is just not something that we're provided with. Um, and so I just wanted to ask like, what were some of the biggest struggles for you starting your own business as one person um a very amazing and, person yes and how did you sort of overcome those struggles um honestly i would say the biggest the biggest thing in the way was myself to be honest <laughs> like looking back from start to finish um even at nyu something i really struggled with was you know when as i, as I met dara i was doing dabbling into like the creative world of doing like my own projects and events and things like that. And I went to my mentor saying like, okay, I'm really interested in research and mental health, but I'm also really interested in art and those two worlds just don't even mix. Like I had friends who literally didn't even know I was in school. So I just thought like, how am I gonna make this work? And she basically told me like, you don't ha they don't have to make sense. <laughs> you know, they're you and it'll work out. You being you, it's gonna work out. and. Um, even like meeting you all, I think, and I know you all can like attest to this, me like crying and being like, I don't, this is not going to work. And, then, <laughs> and you guys being like, what? Like, this is incredible. And I think for me, it's just about believing in myself because when I look back on all the times where I got out of my own way, that things just really fell into place. Um, like even meeting Daryl, you like, that was so random, but Holy Rat has such a, a, a role would not be where it's at without all of you and just like have everything kind of just fell into place once I got it out of my own way and just really believed in in, in it even though I couldn't see it and know there's nothing really out like redefining our womanhood but knowing that people needed it um every time someone sends a message of like hey we started therapy based on your consultation or this post like really helped me in this rough time like the, it's just like reassuring to me but definitely it was it was me <laughs> you know because I had never seen something like this and just you know my with my given my background again like none no one in my family had a career let alone you know an entrepreneurial career so that it was just something I had never seen but I think when you just trust in something you know I think 
this was put inside of me to kind of birth out. So I just kind of every day have to choose to trust that. Yeah, it's it's it. That's such a powerful yeah. way to say it. It is a choice every day because mm-hmm. um, everything is stacked against you. And I think like the echo chamber of your own mind, especially when you don't necessarily have like reflective representation around you is very psychologically difficult. You know, mm-hmm. it's just hard to convince yourself. But like we are so proud of your ability to like commit to your dream. And like you said, there's so much amazing um, work that's already being done with Roe. And um, clearly that's that's like like that's that's shown through the work that you do and the messages that you get but for anybody that's like watching this um live or watching it um recorded please definitely go check out um redefining our womanhood you can find their website just by googling redefining your womanhood it'll pop up you can also follow kaylin um in uh as an individual (laughs) but you can also follow the vault library you can follow um redefining um your womanhood on um, our womanhood yeah, on our Instagram. So um, if you want to, the links are all connected to the tags in our flyer and our Instagram, but we'll also make sure to um, link all the information wherever you guys are, are watching this or listening to this. So um, Kaylin, you beautiful human. We, so beautiful. we fucking love you. Yeah. And um, we really this just can't wait. This is the shortest conversation for, we've ever had. We've, I think yeah. it actually is a record, record. And we're still over time. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll take this conversation over a glass of wine off camera. But uh, we love you. We are so proud of you. Yeah. And thanks for always showing up for us. Yeah. Thank you. Love you guys. Yeah. Okay, okay. So let's, uh, yeah, on to the next. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.